Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Hey, Iron Radio listeners. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. All good things must come to an end, and after a dozen years and 640 weekly episodes, my involvement with the show will be complete for the foreseeable future. Have no fear, though. Coach Stevens and Dr. Nelson will continue with a modernized version of the show pretty much everywhere that matters, on iTunes, on the web in general, with a new website, and on YouTube. The legacy material from version 1.0 of the show will remain up, and it will contain links you can follow to all the new stuff. Thanks. It's been an honor. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist and a nutrition scientist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Uh, This is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I run Strength Guild. I am in London, Ohio, the town of very strong people. I'm going to go over and squat with... uh, Dave Tate, Elite FTS, right after the show. Nice. Should be fun. This is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor at the Kerrigan Institute, created the Flux Diet Cert, and just as of this recording, just celebrated my birthday yesterday, so I took the afternoon off, did some fun kiteboarding down at Pepin, which was awesome, and I'm now 47. Oh. Yeah. That is so appropriate, everybody. We are just <laughs> mostly me, yeah. I admit, but we were bitching about, in there. <laughs> about age. <laughs> yep, just fussing about age. All the weird little maladies that start to happen. And, you know, once you're in your 40s, you start thinking how much of this is, you know, pathological versus just uh, just father time. Yep. <laughs> yeah. When- I figure if you add up all my different parts, I'm only like 32. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's parts of me that are super young, brand so. new. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Getting I those think, upgrades. Yep. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I think everybody getting upgrades like they do now in body part replacements. Yeah, you could average it out. There you go. Exactly. Okay, everybody. We're going to talk about some news today. Um, a different kind of news, mostly just uh, around the the lifting industry, if you will. After the break, we're going to talk about. Warm-ups and cool-downs, um, and this was partly selfish because I wanted to see what Mike and Phil had to say because I'm in a very weird transition period trying to figure out how to lift. And um, But, you know, there are some some lifts where you're not just going to jump into heavy sets, for God's sake. And, you know, so I thought we could talk about a whole body warm-up uh, and for how long, um, what specific lifts. I'm thinking mostly the like the big three in powerlifting, you know, like how would you ramp up or, and then maybe even a little bit on cool downs, like um, 
Do you stretch? Do you try to purposely relax? There's a lot of books about recovery that suggest you should do that after a really intense workout. You know, don't run off, pay your bills, and argue with your you know, partner or whatever. Um, or even just stand around and, you know, talk shop. You know, so warm-ups and cool-downs will be after the break. Uh, but we have some extended news. Let me kick it off just with something that I was looking at this morning. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, I have not looked at the bodybuilding scene uh, that much, so I thought I would go look at NPC News Online. If you haven't done that and you're interested in muscle mass or maybe need some motivation, it's an interesting resource. This used to be NPC News, like the magazine, and I doubt they even have that anymore. They might. Um, But one of the things that struck me was that, uh, well, two things. One is there seems to be a heavy emphasis on female lifters. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. It's just I was surprised. It's a lot of fitness, uh, you know, physique, women's physique, uh, that kind of stuff. Um, There's some guy stuff in here, of course, but uh, more than the last time I looked at any of these publications. So uh, probably a good thing, but if you're... If you're a guy looking for male physique motivation, there's going to be probably less of that. And I think the other thing that I noticed was the ads compared to, you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, very little as far as dietary supplement ads. And this this echoes what you guys were saying about the Arnold, you know, going down to the Arnold Classic in Columbus, uh, Arnold Fitness Weekend is the booths don't, you know, they're not all about uh, different pills and powders essentially and yep. that's what i see yeah. here yeah there's a lot of this like skin treatments um people hawking their training systems you know um and you know physique prep kinds of training kinds of things um anyway it, it could be worth looking at as far as uh some motivation stuff now there are a few things on here here's a ad for some gummies cbd gummies um, <laughs> there's some memory and cognition kind of product on here and stuff that I guess has some relation to pre-workouts. I don't know, but a lot of this just looked like skin and training programs and stuff. Uh, and like I said, a, 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 in my mind, a definite a- emphasis on women. And when I look at these women's physique competitors, I think it's all just how you frame it. Because in my mind, in my old man <laughs> eyes, these are bodybuilders. These women, are, these are women bodybuilders. They're more jacked than the Rachel McLish of the past for sure. Um, I just think they're probably loath to say women's bodybuilding, right? Because I feel like over the last 10 years, it, it sort of uh, atrophied down to almost zero. But again, that's my bias. If people are cranky at me saying this, you can, you know, email through ironradio.org and, and fuss at me. But, but <laughs> so this, but yeah, anyway, so not much news, just sort of my quick assessment as I'm looking at this. And maybe, a, you know, a tip. Go check out NPC News Online. There were some cool videos and stuff um, of, of both sexes, of course. But, but that leads to some other industry news. Uh, Phil, did, you, you said you, you were talking about some stuff before we hit the record button. Yeah, I got a couple. And I was just going to say I'm seeing an uprise, an uprise now all of a sudden in especially women. Um, from powerlifting, move over and do some bodybuilding stuff. Uh, there's been two big names in the last couple of months that have 
that I've made that switch to get on the the stage of uh, physique competition. Interesting. Hunter Henderson went out and won. She like won her pro card as a female bodybuilder in like her second show. And wow. then uh, Maddie Forberg last weekend did the same thing. And I think she was figure, I think. And uh, she took first place overall in her first ever competition. So, and it's neat. Like one part of me is like, you're seeing these people. Like I had some bodybuilding interested people at my seminar, but now those two, it's like they have this hell of a base built from years of powerlifting. Right. Yeah. So it was a short, you know, it didn't take that long to, to make that transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just harkens back to the day when, hey, bodybuilders are still strong. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Arnold was a freaking powerlifter first. But um, yeah, so it's interesting. It's just weird that this comes up and like that's, that was a, that's just, seems to be more prevalent now there seems to be some kind of push towards it but no and i just want to say you know we didn't mention it last week i think it happened right before our show but john meadows passed away in 49 right yeah i wasn't fortunate enough to know john but everybody i know that does and are real we're really close with them just said he was a superb guy uh Mm -hmm. just as nice as they could be and uh apparently they're saying it was a pulmonary embolism but i know he had numerous issues before he had i think ulcerative colitis and had part of his intestines removed and had issues with blood clots and things like that but uh, uh and i know that hit like i think dave tate and them here in ohio pretty hard they yeah. were all pretty hard. so uh, and then the other one was uh, another female competitor died alina kosanova passed away in a photo shoot or something like that and uh, that turned off this big to do on social media, and there's some YouTube videos like the body count or something like that. And apparently, this is the the fifth person that has died under the coaching of Shelby Starnes. And there's people coming out like just getting pissed. Uh, and you know, I can't say from you know, I have no firsthand account with this, but it's a lot of talk about just massive diuretic usage and things like that, and. I know you guys were talking about this before the show of several other people that have passed away due to that. And people don't like, even in powerlifting world, it was the use of diuretics kind of went away numerous years ago because yeah. of how dangerous it was, you know, everybody knew it was dangerous. Well, and in powerlifting then, you know, you can get away with it in bodybuilding using pharmaceutical diuretics and in, in, in strength sports, it's a little tougher because, you know, we make a way in and then, numerous couple hours later we got to go you know, yeah. and have to rehydrate we have to compete mm-hmm. yeah we have to compete and that pharmaceutical is not going to stop working that fast mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. you know to the point we cramp up and everything else but uh yeah i know there are a lot of people raising a pretty big stink over the deal with shelby stars so yeah and maybe maybe rightly so i mean like i said i don't know the guy it's just it's a hot topic right now so mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I've <clears throat> I've never met him. I've known people who've worked with him, and all the people I've known who've worked with him all had really good things to say. No one really had anything bad to say, per se. But <clears throat> you also wonder, too, how much of it is a protocol, how much of it is if you're working with athletes who want to win at all costs, who are willing to do all sorts of stuff, even if you're the coach and you may recommend against it. And again, <clears throat> I don't know anything about his protocols at all. Personally, yep. um, they may go off and do it on their own. 
you know, yeah. there's nothing you can do to control that either. And if you're, you know, working with the top people or people that are willing to take more risks than other people, then yeek. That's <laughs> oh yeah, and that's a scary combination. We've talked about it a lot on the show. I mean, it's like coaches being one of the things I agree with is, you know, elite in anything is not for your health. Right. And, you know, as long as they sat down and talked about the risks and things like that, and these people said, yeah, let's do it. You know, I can't imagine he's like sneaking diuretics into their protein shake. No. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and doing it without them Sneaking. knowing. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So, I mean, can you can it really be faulted to him? You know, here's what it takes to be the best. And you want to be the best. And if you want to be the best in anything, it's going to have uh, repercussions. Well, that's yeah. what you've always said, Phil. You know, at, yep. at a high level, it's not about health. Nope. So. And if people are interested, obviously, on Iron Radio, we had uh, Dr. Escalante talking on here about what it takes to be a professional bodybuilder. And then I did a follow-up on my podcast, Flex Diet Podcast. You can look for his name. And we talked about other ancillary methods. And one of them was just the – it appears to be a spike in diuretic use again, uh, which, as as we know, both diuretics and insulin are something that if you don't use them correctly, you're dead. <laughs> There's a really high risk to be paid with that. I mean, you could – take a lot of interesting testosterone esters and that may have a cost long term depending on what you're doing etc but acutely probably much less of a risk compared to you know yeah. diuretics and insulin if you screw those up there's there's no coming back yeah and then you take the cocktail of lots of anabolics yep lots of diuretics and lots of insulin you know you the anabolics quadruple your red blood count, and then you turn your blood into mud. Yep. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. You used to hear stories of Tour de France cyclists who would get up at three in the morning and start exercising because they felt like their blood was, you know, so thick, probably from EPO use and who knows whatever else, that if they didn't feel like they started to dilute it, they felt like they were going to have issues. And a lot of times if you look at, you know, clotting issues, you know, thrombrosis, you know, different things like that, if you've got a super high hematic grid, once you don't have, you know, exercise and things moving around, you're at a much higher risk. So a lot of times the risk was when they weren't exercising. Yeah. I remember yeah. the last yeah. time I competed, I dehydrated um, enough that I was, I was worried. Like you can feel it, you know. Um, you lose more than maybe even just 2% of your body weight. Um, yeah. And you can kind of feel that. And I was most worried the night before, cause you're right. Uh, you know, laying still laying flat all night long. I'm just like, Oh boy. Like, you know, I wasn't taking loop diuretics like a lot of these guys <laughs> and that kind of stuff, but even herbal diuretics and, you know, basically just water restriction for a whole day. And, um, yeah, I I can see how some people are like. I think I can feel that, you know. And uh, I know, like Eric Serrano, uh, he used to show up at uh, I think it was the Mike Francois show with like IV bags, you know, with just saline, just to you know immediately rehydrate people. Uh, yeah. Because, like Phil said, you know, their their viscosity of their blood is through the roof, and he's just trying to, you know, rapidly rehydrate them so they don't end up cyanotic and and die. <laughs> But I can, yeah. I'll say one thing about the trainer 
situation, though, is in any other field, if you lost patients or clients, if you lost them, if they died, you wouldn't be in business anymore. You know, that's true. It's it seems like this weird double standard. Yeah. 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 And it was very sad to hear John passed away. I know for me that really messed me up for about a week and a half. And I mean, I knew him and met him and had talked to him off and on for probably 10 years. He wasn't like super good friends, uh, you know, not like, you know, Dave Tate and all those guys that knew him and worked with them all the time. But I mean, just like the nicest dude was always super helpful. And even just seminars I was at, he would always, you know, take time to answer people's questions. Like even at an advanced seminar, people would ask very basic questions. He never made them feel bad about asking a question and he actually encouraged it. Um, Cause you know, some seminars you go to, that's quite advanced. You almost yeah. feel bad asking a basic question, but then later you realize everybody probably had that same question and just felt too bad to ask it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, that, I don't know. That for me was pretty hard. And I was glad that I did go to the seminar with, um, uh, him, Dr. Uh, Scott Stevens and Dr. Serrano last 2019 before the Arnold. I had to completely rearrange my schedule and change a whole bunch of crap in order to make it happen. But I'm especially in hindsight now, I'm like super glad that I was able to do that because that was oh, yeah. the last time I was able to talk to him in person, you know, so mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. very, very sad. I only had a few exchanges with him back in the T-Nation days. I don't want people to yeah. think T-Nation is gone, but of course, when the three of us were writing for them more actively and managing their boards and everything. Um, Let's be honest, it's gone since we're gone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can can tell you it was a different era, and a lot of people will point out, and I know we have too, about, uh, and I'm not going to badmouth anybody, but uh, the whole idea of, um, and Phil, you know this just as well as Mike and I, who did a lot of the, when you create an article that's basically a, a state of the art, like a mini literature review, and it's got 20 or 30 references that the referencing is what takes all the time the evidence based right. part if you just want to do opinion based stuff and spew stuff like it's fact man you can crank that out 3 an hour you know yeah. uh, and it, but i feel like we've lost uh, that site has sort of lost that mini lit review thing because i was always sort of offended by articles in like gen pop fitness magazines and the whole article is written around one reference and I'm like, that's yeah. lame, you know, because what's the totality of the literature say? You know, what's the balance here? Yeah. I want people to have a takeaway and, you know, the gold nugget like Chris Shugart used to talk about. But I'm not sure there's a lot of gold nuggets if your article is based on opinion instead of evidence these days. Um, yeah. And I haven't looked at that site specifically. I'm just kind of pointing at sites that do that, you know. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah. And I'm fine with opinion pieces as long as you state that it's your opinion and your experience yeah you know that's fine but when you're talking about you know things that there's clearly research that supports or maybe contradicts and then you just like you said line just skip over all of it and you're like oh yeah yeah yeah." it's like uh Mm, no. <laughs> right. And, you know, and I, I think in addition, it's important for people to sit when they speculate, like you said, say you're yeah. speculating. And then also point out that even professional opinion, it's the weakest form of evidence, right? It's better oh, than yeah. ignorant opinion. 
but it's still the weakest form of evidence when you look at a lot of these evidence hierarchy pyramids and stuff, you know. Um, but yeah, anyway, so back to the point was, yeah, I, I remember um, back and forth with, with, with John a couple of times during that era because he was writing a lot of stuff. And anyway, that is a tragic yeah. thing. Um, Phil, you said you had several. Is that, that's, that's several actually, but is there anything else? (laughs) No, that's it. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what then let's go to break. Uh, when we come back, uh, I want to pick these guys brains about warm ups, uh, cool downs, you know, that, that kind of thing, because we were talking about getting old, right? So it becomes a bigger (laughs) deal. I, I, when I was young, I don't think I warmed up at all. Like ever, I could drop into a split either either direction or front on with no warm up, and if I did that now, something would break clean off my body. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll, we'll be back. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. Over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. For this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. All right, folks, we're back. It's Mike and Phil and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about warm-ups and cool-downs just in general. And this is, as I mentioned earlier, sort of selfish because I am now, how old am I? 52. And (laughs) warm-ups are more important than they used to be. Um, And so, obviously, this is going to come up with heavier lifts. You know, I think, uh, like, Mike, and by the way, happy birthday. Um, Oh, thank you. Someone gets to be in their late 40s or even I'd say even say early 40s with high mileage, right? It's like that old Indiana Jones quote about it's not the age, sweetheart, it's the miles, you know. Um, But warm ups become probably more important than when you're younger and you could get away with, you know, not doing them necessarily. But Phil, let me ask you, like you personally or or maybe compare and contrast with some of your younger athletes. How do you do whole body or what comes to mind when it comes to like which lifts really need a, like a ramp up? I mean, obviously you're not going to jump into heavy sets and certain things. Uh, what's your approach with you versus some of the younger bucks? Honestly, a lot of I, I try to get them to do more of what I did because just like you were talking about when you're younger, it's like we just didn't warm up much at all. Yeah, and I'm not positive on it, but I think it could have been to our detriment. And mm-hmm. it's not going to hurt them to warm up a little bit more, especially a specific warm up. Like on our squats, like uh, we have like one of my training partners, I think his best squats like 485. And basically he was warming up 
So let's say he's going to 360 for his working sets and I'm going to 675. He was taking the same plate warm-ups as me. Mm. So he would be there in like three sets. You know, he's to his weight. And then I would be there in like eight sets. Right. <laughs> or whatever yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. So I got him to slow down and start taking quarter jumps. And I think I think we see that a lot, and we see it in bench press too. I think bench press is the one that most people really screw up because if you look up, let's say somebody's a 700-pound squatter and they're a 300-pound bencher or whatever, 400-pound bencher, doesn't matter. They'll take the same, like they'll go by plates still. Um, so now your warm-up's on squat, you have seven or eight sets, but your warm-up on bench, you got like three just to the nature that the lift isn't as strong. So I tend to go... I don't do much of a general warm up aside from just getting my ass moving around and uh, my gym's nice and hot in the summer. So I'm already sweating when we get in there. Yeah. Can be good. And, uh, if something's aching or something like that, I'll, I'll move a bit more, but then it's lots of specific warm up. And I'm a big proponent of, and I talked about this in seminar. We, I mean, might even brought it up in that Q and a, like <sighs> do your, the same warm ups every week. Like, I know what 135 is going to feel like. And if that doesn't feel right, I will stay at 135 and do that multiple times. You know, multiple sets of warm-ups there until 135 feels right. Because if I take 135, I'm like, oh, that felt bad. Yes. And then I go to 225, guess what? 225 is going to feel fucking worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like, why are you going up when that felt bad? And it's okay to stay there. And that's why I generally drop my reps lower. I don't do a bunch of sets of 10 and stuff like that as a warm-up. Um, especially in my sport, you know, in my sport, that's what I preach to everybody is like, that's neat that rep two looks great, but rep one sucked. And that's the only one that counts for you. Mm-hmm. you know? So I'll do some doubles and things like that, or maybe even just singles. And I'll just do multiple sets of them, uh, with short rest between or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that gives us more time to practice our walkout, more time to practice all that stuff. Uh, so, and you know, we might stay at a certain weight for three or four sets until that's okay. It's right. Now we can go up again. Um, it's logical, right? Yeah. Why would you go up if something yeah. feels wrong at this weight? Yeah. And I mean, I have to imagine on my, on my big lifts, I've probably got eight to 10 warm up sets before I'm at working weight. <laughs> it's kind of how I work it out now because I'm doing all my deadlifting and squatting on the same day. I, you know, I squat first, and it's just like a meet. That's how I tell people a meet. You'll see people do this extended warm-up and deadlift. Man, if you're not warm by then, you're not getting warm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I just squatted for two hours. So yeah. my warm-ups are very abbreviated for deadlift. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm there, man. All I'm doing is just wearing myself out if I do 10 sets of deadlifts before my working sets. Right. So, um, right. And those two lifts play together. I mean, honestly, in my opinion now, even if I have people that are training, like, this is your deadlift day. We'll do light squats first because I haven't found a move that like warms you up better for deadlifting squats. It just gets everything ready to go mm-hmm. um, more so than just deadlifting. So, so, Phil, just to just to clarify then for everybody, you're you don't go in your gym and get on a bike for ten minutes. Nothing like that. Nope, I don't. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I just make sure that my body's warm in general. Like if it's winter, I'll bundle up more. And then, like, I'll start squatting and stuff in a hoodie and sweatpants and all this stuff just to get me warmed up during my very specific warm-up. Mm-hmm. And then start shedding items, you know, as I as I just get hot. You know, I, I want my body generally warm. But, no, I don't do a bunch of stretching and, you know, bicycle and things like that. I, I, I'm very much more lean on specific warm-up. 
yeah. for the task that we're going to do that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, when I have access to cardio, sometimes I'll do just like a 10 minute, I just ramp up, like imagine on a treadmill, like 1% incline up to 10% incline, you know, a minute at each stage. It's like, and you know, but you said two things that I thought were gold there. One was jumping up with, with quarters instead of just a full 45 pound plate on either side. That's something I have to do now, you know, like, yeah. cause you know, you know, 135, 225, 315, that's that's not a, a probably adequate if your one rep max in the bench is 315 you know exactly you're getting two warm up sets right yeah. right and and, I, and so it's a wonder why all of us have bad shoulders you know that could be fun <laughs> you know you're right you know? maybe you're right we we think oh when i was young i could get away with it maybe we didn't actually maybe it yeah. accumulated yeah damage cuz my shoulders are are shot <laughs> along with yeah. some other things yeah um, but the other thing was the 135. Um, I think I'm going to do that. In fact, today I'm going to go down and if I feel really stiff when I'm training just my home, um, set up here, I'm just going to keep doing sets of 135 and damn it. If I have to do a 10 sets of 10, then that's what I'll do. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. but that's good advice. Uh, what about you, Mike? How do you address warm up? Um, I know you have both in person, like face to face and distance clients and all that. Um, is it based on their availability of equipment or how do you do it? Yeah. So pretty similar to Phil actually, even though we didn't discuss this for online clients, if people are training online clients, something that'll make your life so much easier is only track the working sets and allow, like Phil said, their open, their warm up sets to be front loaded and to be whatever they need. So in the past I was tracking all of it, and it got to be a nightmare trying to look at, you know, progression and were they doing better? Were they doing worse? And I, so I just switched and said, okay, if we're doing three sets or four sets or five sets or whatever it is, just track the working sets, but do whatever you need to feel warmed up so that when you hit your working sets, you're good to go. You know, so some days that may be three or four warm up sets. Some days it may be eight. I, I don't care. Don't. <laughs> If you want to make a note about it in the bottom, cool. So we can kind of track it and see what's going on. But uh, just tracking working sets. So when I write down in my journal, I'll put my warm-ups in there just so I know. And then I'll box around, you know, what is the actual uh, working sets. Um, in general, uh, online, what I do is this is pretty much the same. I do some type of, I'd say the term is greatly bastardized of CNS type warm-up. Uh, I use a lot of reflexive performance reset. It looks batshit crazy, but you're kind of doing like your own self myofascial work with your thumb, but you're doing it more for a neurologic response, not necessarily a tissue response. Mm -hmm. And the targets are kind of weird looking. So like the back of your head, you're working on that area between your skull and top part of your spine. And that's actually for your glute max. You're like, well, what the hell? That doesn't make any sense. But if you look at um, infants and development, as infants raise their head up, they start to get hip extension. And those both correlate at the same time. So there's some reflexes you can work on just to make sure that you're getting a better activation pattern. So we'll do that first. And then if it's cold or they just feel a little bit more creaky, I may have them do a general warm-up. I like either a bike or a rower. Not a big fan of the treadmill. I I have some weird ideas that 
if you've ever watched someone at a gym get off a treadmill and they've been on there for like a long period of time, their first couple steps looked like they would been drinking in the gym, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's a little confusion in your body of, hey, I'm walking and I'm moving, but my eyeballs are saying I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> and yeah. I think that pattern is a little bit too similar to gait where biking and rowing and patterns that are different, I don't see that as much. Again, it's always a trade-off, right? If you're really cold and stiff, I think, like you said, Lonnie, doing some type of general movement is probably still going to be in your benefit uh, to doing it. Um, After that, just get into whatever your first exercise is. I tend to program uh, bigger compound movements first and just take as many warm-up sets as you need. Similar to what Phil was saying, if it doesn't feel good, just do another set. Um, Even if people are doing more hypertrophy work, you know, they're not all their warm up sets are not 10 to 15 reps. I don't know whoever wrote that. Um, just, you know, do some higher rep stuff, lower rep stuff, whatever feels good for you. Um, but by the time you get to your working sets, you should feel pretty good. You shouldn't feel burnt out because I see some people do too many reps and very little rest. And it's almost like they did a friggin' Medcon before they did their bench press. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's that's not ideal either. You know, Mike, that's a good uh, point. I'm I would tend to do sets of five actually. Like, um, yeah. And you know what? Um, this is just something that worked for me personally. I don't know how you guys think about this, but like, if I'm if I go one thirty five, one eighty five, two and a quarter, or something like that, and if it's just I feel like it's not working, I'll stay at the low weight and I'll just make it like a speed work day. You know, just yeah. like specific, you know, like just be as dynamic as I can, dynamic max kind of, and just do explosive work with 185 or, you know, something like that. Um, because if the if the weights aren't feeling right, I don't want to keep moving up, you know, especially because I think once you get into your, your, you know, middle-aged years, you are kind of playing with fire. You'll never know, right? You'll never know that you saved your own ass because you walked away from moving up. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm going to yeah. stay here. I'm just going to do, you know, five sets of five explosive work with 185 in the bench or whatever. Um, and then because it, something just was off. And then you never know because you prevented it, right? You never know that you might have blown something catastrophically had you kept going up into, you know, 250, 275, 300, etc. So Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And... After the first uh, set, they get done with that. Uh, warm-ups are really minimal. You know, if they're doing, like Phil said, another compound exercise afterwards, normally I split them out on different days, but, you know, depends on their training cycle and how many days they have. They may do a few more warm-up sets, but it's pretty minimal. Um, if they're doing more hypertrophy, bodybuilding-type stuff, you know, their other warm-up sets are minimal to non-existent. Yeah. And then the last part, too, is everyone will be a little bit different and I've noticed some people have movements that even if it feels good and I watch their videos or they're here in person, everything looks good. They just need more warmups for for who knows whatever reason. Like if I'm doing dumbbell bench press, maybe it's because I'm a little paranoid about tearing a pec, especially in that bottom stretched position more so than even with the barbell, man, I do a lot of warmup sets and I, don't go up unless it feels good. Um, deadlift, I don't need as many warm-up sets for deadlift as I do with the squat, even though I squat way less than I deadlift. <laughs> you know, I agree so. with that. 
squats, I feel like I'm shaking off the rust these days. Um, oh, man. <laughs> for multiple sets, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this is different for each one. And I think if you have an exercise where you're going heavier into a stretched position, then in general, I would tell people to warm up a lot more than a lot less. Um, especially if you know your range of motion is a little iffy, right? So this may be external rotation in your shoulders if you're doing a straight uh, back squat. It may be dumbbell flat bench press, It, you know, whatever. So I think those positions are, I think, just a little bit more hairy, and you probably need more warm-up sets, if nothing else, to get a better idea of where your body is, right? Because everyone's done that where you're like, yeah, dumbbell bench press, work up, uh, 75s are good, you know, 85s feel, you know, okay, this is going to be a good day. And you go up five pounds to 90s, and you're like, whoa, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah. It yep. can be kind of sneak up on you. You know, it's 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 a good point. For me personally, I know everybody's anatomically different. It's the barbell stuff that becomes more sure. of a challenge. Because the dumbbell stuff, yeah, I can usually be a little more abusive and escalate more quickly because you can, you know, supinate and pronate and adjust mm -hmm. and... Uh, accommodate, you know, for your own weirdness uh, yeah. with the dumbbells. But um, okay, let's let's switch gears and because we just have uh, about fifteen minutes or so, and talk about cool downs. Um, and the reason I bring this up is there's been some great books on one was called Enhancing Recovery that I've talked about over the years, and the idea is that you shouldn't, you know, slam energy drinks. Um, get super intense, get your epinephrine level sky high, um, you know, crank the, you know, Pantera, whatever. And, you know, you've got, you're on, you know, high gear here going crazy. And then you just run out of the gym and then you got to run, pay your bills and then get in an argument with somebody. And then, you know, and you carry that stress into the rest of your life. And for recovery purposes, this, this book, which was a big lit review, it wasn't just a, a, a lay book. Um, they were just suggesting it could be a good idea. So I'm curious how you guys do that. So Phil, like at Strength Guild, do you mm. do you have anybody do some stretching afterward or do you change the music? Do you just stand around and just talk shop? Is there anything you do to kind of cool down or just let people do that themselves? I let them do that themselves. But generally we stand around for a bit and shoot the shit, you know, and things like that after we're done. Mm -hmm. And it, it depends a lot because we're training in like when I'm done, there's still seven or eight people still doing their thing, you know? So it's not like we go in and, Oh, I see. You know, everybody doesn't show up, show up at 10. We're done at 12. <laughs> it's staggering. So I might be going and like three other people walk in an hour into my workout. They start there. So, okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, we de definitely don't keep it, like, super strict as far as, like, everybody's here at this time. You know, I'm not my training partners. We're all done. We start when we start, and we're done when we're done. Um, mm -hmm. And me, it depends. I mean, the only thing I might do is, like, get on a foam roll and roll a little bit. or You know, it just depends on how I'm feeling. But in general, it's, I'm just done. Walk around, talk to everybody a bit. Right. Go home and, you know. Yeah. No. Get hydrated is my main thing after training. Just rehydrate especially in the summer like we sweat so much and yeah so okay yeah um yeah there's just so many different techniques you know people can they can hit the shower the locker room and do uh you know a hot cold contrast shower or sauna or there's just a ton of things but 
Yeah, the book that I'm referring to is more about preventing overtraining, really, you know. So I think if you've got your training intensity and volume under control, it might be less um, of a concern, right, for some people. Because let's face it, I mean, especially my my exposure to powerlifting has been that you guys don't drive yourselves into the ground where you're crawling out of the gym, you know. Yeah. Uh, either you kind of get your dose of the iron, if you will. Yep. And then you're like, well, I hit my numbers for today. Um, I'm done. And so you're not exhausted and strung out, you know, for the most yeah. part. So there's also that. Yep. Uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, do you have your clients do anything like this? Because I know you're interested in the, like the neurology of it and everything. But Yeah, what I do is a little bit different than for clients. For most clients, I'm really working on them being able to do harder and faster transitions. Can you go from being very parasympathetic to very sympathetic and then back to being very parasympathetic again? Yeah, yeah. This can be viewed as a training session. This could be viewed as a day, a week. This could be viewed set to set, right? So I think of like the super old Russian Olympic weightlifting films where these huge sides of beef walk out to the stage <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, this guy's going to fall asleep. What the hell? And then he touches the bar and you see like this huge intensity, you know, does a clean and jerk world record, sets the bar down, lumbers off stage like he's going to go take a nap. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, like to me, that is like the the top echelon of athletic just performance. Right. You're on when you need to be on. You're off when you need to be off. Like a switch. Um, yeah. So you can do that between sets. Um, so I have a, the fist flexor, so I play around with stuff like breathing, even eye position, right? So if I look more, uh, let my eyes relax, like Dr. Andrew Huberman's talked about this, more panoramic or imagine staring at an ocean or looking at the mountains, that's much more on the parasympathetic side. If I'm very focused on something in front of me, like I'll usually put my hands together and focus on that, that's much more sympathetic. Right, so even eye position can play with it, obviously breath work. Um, so trying to teach people to do those things. And the main starting point then is just try to relax after you're done training. You know, because you see a lot of people walk out of the gym and they're just still amped up for like four hours later, which I don't think is beneficial. Um, the biggest thing I got, which is from uh, Dr. John Russin and Dave Bars talked about this too, just lay down on your back, put your arms out at your side, I usually have them put their legs up in like a 90-90 position, which I got from PRI, and just do some light breathing, just a longer exhale than an inhale, even just a couple minutes, right? So you're trying to do the opposite of gravity, right? Your heart's not having to work against gravity. You're trying to push a little bit more blood flow even back passively, and you're just doing a longer exhale, which is more parasympathetic. Um, if you have access to a sauna, that's my favorite. If I go to the gym, usually on Mondays, I'll use a sauna and just do some breath work in there for 10 minutes. Or I found that that tends to make a huge difference. Uh, there isn't really any interference effect with heat, both aerobic training or uh, strength training. So you don't have to worry about screwing up all the adaptations you just spend time in the gym trying to do. If I'm at home and I'm doing uh, aerobic-based stuff in the morning, or even sometimes on like a Tuesday, Thursday, uh, I'll actually do cold water immersion after. So I'll have a freezer full of cold water at right now it's at 48 degrees. So I'll get in there up to my chin for two, three, four, five minutes, somewhere around there. 
Um, if your goal is all out maximal hypertrophy, yeah, you probably don't want to do cold water for 10 minutes immediately after. But other than that, I found that it it tends to work really well. The caveat is like just don't push it. If you really push it hard, then it's going to go the reverse, right? Because it's going to become too big of a stressor and you're going to start kind of going backwards. So I'll just do some light breath work in there and then I'll be done. Um, uh, last part too is that I'll, for me personally, I'll change music, right? So I'll have more aggressive stuff for like probably my top sets that are more performance based. And then for accessory work, yeah, you know, something milder. And by milder, it's usually like, you know, soil work or something like that. So <laughs> it's all, it's all relative. Right. And then at the end, especially if I'm training at a gym and I have just my headphones on, or even if I'm at home, um, I'll put on something that's quite a bit more mellow. Uh, lately I've been listening to a lot of cell dweller is I'm just, you know, walking back to change or I'll just walk around, you know, at my place here for just a few minutes and just listen to that and try to chill out and then, you know, go back to whatever I'm doing. Right. Right on. You know, the way I, here's practical, um, example, I guess is, um, when I would get done training at Pep's gym, I'd head back out to the car and you know, my phone's usually blast in some type of metal and I would make sure I would change the music. I would, yep. um, fill out my training log for about 10 minutes, just sitting there in the car. You know, they probably thought I was yeah. crazy. What's old oh, Dr. Lowry out there in the parking lot sitting there after every workout. Well, I'm filling out my training log and I, I would notice to your point about some of the, you know, the two way street of neurology is my face was usually crunched up and scowling and intense. And I would purposely try to smooth my face, if, if that makes any sense. Yep. You know, like my forehead, uh, you know, calm my face, put on different music and fill out the training log. And that was just a good, you know, cool down, if you will. Because the training log is, I, I, historically, I haven't looked at it as a monitoring tool as much as I should. But just the act of writing down and reflecting on what you just did, it makes me feel like I'm in the middle of a, of a program, you know, of a training program, a mesocycle, whatever. Um, but just the act of doing it, I think, was part of a cool down that I found helpful personally. Yeah. And from a neurology standpoint, too, like we get associated with those things over time. Um, so for you, Lonnie, I'd be willing to bet just getting in your car, opening your training journal after having done that for many years, your heart rate and everything is already going down. Mm -hmm. Right. Because uh -huh. your brain is then already predicting, you know, these types of things via the, the anchoring of the environment. So I think that's also probably an underrated thing that people forget about if you're doing cold water or sauna is, yeah, you've got the the potentially input from it. But you also have that high association of just walking into the sauna, knowing that this is where I relax. Right. So you, you're running those sort of programs again and again and those can start earlier because your brain is predicting what it's going to mm -hmm. feel is going to happen that's astute man because we talk about sleep rituals all the time but these yep. rituals they happen all Same day idea. long they happen all day long yeah mm -hmm. like drinking coffee before you go to train or you right. know just all these little rituals i think make a huge difference from like a neuro anchoring perspective mm -hmm. so lately if i'm training at the gym on Mondays, I have just one particular t-shirt that I wear. Of course, it's a scarier shirt, so nobody talks to me at the gym. But <laughs> when I put that shirt on, I know it's, oh, okay, I'm doing this on this day, and it's, you know, time to go. Or I specifically 
kind of do the weird Mr. Rogers things and change my shoes. So I have different shoes I walk over in versus my mm-hmm. training shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think all those things can, especially if you're right on that edge of becoming more of a lifelong trainer, I think all those little things can add up and make a big difference to kind of keep you motivated and you know then I just have to show up and I go through these things. Okay, boom, now I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah, I like that mm-hmm. a lot. Sweet. Yeah. All right. Well, Phil, I know you're in a hotel room, so um, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Drinking my coffee. There you go. <laughs> you can rep- give us a report next week about how it goes, how the training goes. Yeah. All right. Cool stuff. All reports are if I'm squatting with Dave, I'm going to be squatting really high. So I'll let you guys know. Yeah, definitely. Let us know. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. Jim likes joking around. He says you got to have a ladder to get on Dave's box. So okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's harsh. <laughs> so, yeah. But no, we'll see how it goes. It should be a good time. All right. Good stuff. I'll see you guys next week. All right. Bye. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.